Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. Lost or saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Good news, celebrating that reality that I am yours. Amen. Those words, so simple, so beautiful, so important. Well, good morning, good morning. We are uh, a couple weeks into the season that in the church calendar is called the season of Lent. It's the 40 days leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and it's historically been a time for um, those who follow Jesus to engage in deep uh, reflection and prayer and thoughtfulness around the meaning, particularly of the cross. The resurrection comes right after that, and coming out of Easter Sunday, that's really the intention there is to live in light of the celebration of what Jesus accomplished by raising again. But this season of Lent, it's kind of patterned after the 40 days where Jesus is in the desert, and he fasts, and he prays, and he reflects, and he empties himself to just really be thoughtful and open-minded as to the importance of the cross. And so um, over these next four Sundays leading up into Easter Sunday, we're going to do um, four different reflections on the cross. We're going to just try to grab one passage at a time. One of the things I love about the cross is it's such a clear and easy way to grab onto the meaning of Christianity. Right? It's simple enough that all the kids in Kid City today can walk away knowing like something about the cross represents Jesus dying for us and God's love being extended to us and us being able to be in relationship with God. It's such a simple thing to grab onto. And yet on the other hand, there's so much dimension to it. Right? There's so many different layers, so many different aspects to it. And so that's going to be the hope for this series is to kind of look at it from four different angles and to just really join in this kind of historic, both what's happening around the world right now in reflecting and considering about Lent and the cross, but also just what's happened historically as people have done this during this season. So that's our intention, all right? Um, so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them. We're going to start that out with Romans chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles or your electronic devices, open them up, Romans chapter 3. Good to hear some new folks with us. We're glad you're joining in. We, Those of us who have been here at River City, we just finished a series on the book of Acts, and we studied the conversion of the Apostle Paul. We studied kind of his leadership development. We watched him plant some churches. Now we're going to listen to some of his theology as he reflects on the cross. Romans 3 is a very famous passage. It's considered one of the clearest descriptions of what happens on the cross, but to my recollection, we've never studied it corporately here. So today we will read this. We're just going to read a chunk of chapter 3. So let's stand together. We're just going to do five verses. Romans chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul. He says this in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. 
we will stop there. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. My goal for this first week of the series is to avoid in any way trying to be cute or clever. I want to just kind of dwell with y'all on the what many would consider one of the most uh, comprehensive descriptions of the cross that the Apostle Paul gives here in chapter 3. So um, go ahead and Daniel, leave it up for a moment. Uh, so as the, as the Apostle Paul, and this is really part of a conversation in Romans 1, he develops kind of the idea of where we're at without God in chapter 1 and 2, and then he kind of moves into the meaning of the cross here in chapter 3. But Paul's starting point, the one that I think needs to be the starting point for all of us, is this simple but huge idea. Verse 23, this is where Paul starts. Paul says there's a condition, there's a dilemma we're in. All people, all of humankind has sinned. All of humankind has fallen short of the glory of God. um, I was thinking about this as I was preparing. I was going to try to spend time, you know, because I... I hope, I would imagine if you're here at a church, you kind of already see yourself as a sinner. So I certainly know, though, when I talk to folks outside of church oftentimes, this is not actually an assumed starting point. Not everybody sees themselves as a sinner. Not everybody sees themselves as having fallen short of the glory of God. And so I, th- I really do think there's, a, there's an authentic and honest conversation to be had even around that. What does that mean to be a sinner? What does it mean to have fallen short of the glory of God? Um, I just felt like I didn't want to try to go all the way down that road today. So uh, you may not agree with me that you're a sinner. <laughs> You may not agree with me that you have fallen short of the glory of God, but that's going to be my starting point for this one, all right? So uh, hopefully we can agree that even if not everybody else sees us as themselves, this is how God sees us, <laughs> that this is the dilemma God sees, that this is, this is the human condition, that we're, we've sinned. And there's a little interesting distinction even in those words. It says, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's kind of even getting at two different things. The sinned really gets to the action part of it. All have sinned, all have done wrong when we should have done right, all have missed opportunities to do right when we should have done right, all have sinned in action, all have sinned in in thought. There's just this reality that all have sinned. But then Paul goes even a little bit further. He says, and and all have fallen short of the glory of God. The the word fall short is a pretty huge word. It communicates an image almost of like this enormous crater, right? He's he's really trying to underscore the fact that um, our condition is not one where it's like, we almost made it to where we need to, but we need a little boost from God. That's not at all the way Paul sees the human condition. Paul sees it a much more depraved reality that we live in this moon-sized crater of deficit, of sin, of falling short, and that we need something profound, something supernatural to get out of that crater. So that's the starting point of the Apostle Paul. I'm, I'm feeling, in a, even if my face doesn't show it, I'm feeling in a good, good news kind of a mood. And um, this is really what I want to focus on. I actually think this is, um, whenever you're reflecting on the cross, there's a, there's a natural sobriety, there's a natural heaviness to it, right? Because you're considering sin, you're considering the fact that Jesus had to die for that sin. Um, uh, but but this passage is just filled with promise and hope and good news. And uh, that's the part I really want to get to of what I, I think that as we go into these other weeks of it, we want to start with kind of the most basic reality of what the cross accomplishes, the good news of the cross. And so this is the idea I want to just develop from this text for the rest of this time. Um, I want to really just think about one word. Say this word with me. We, I just want to consider the word exchange. You say exchange? Exchange. Uh, uh, there's two different elements of exchange that happens. And let, let, let me take a step back, and, and then we'll try to be practical. The image that really came to me as I was studying this, or reflecting on this for a couple of weeks, um, in Genesis chapter 28, there's this very famous image of, uh, it's often referred to, and there's lots of paintings around it, called Jacob's Ladder. And um, Genesis chapter 28, um, Jacob falls into, a, you know, kind of a sleep, almost like 
vision kind of plays, and and there's this image of God's provision for him, but it comes in the form of this um, ladder. And when God gives Jacob this vision of his love for Jacob, it's a ladder that goes from the heavens down to earth. And as Jacob sees the ladder, there's angels coming up and down from this ladder from heaven to earth. And it's this idea of the melting together of these two realms, the realm of heaven and the realm of earth. And it's God communicating to Jacob that the way Jacob's able to come into the love of God is not through anything that Jacob does in his own efforts. It's this kind of door that's been opened between these two realities. Right? It's the supernatural love of God coming down to Jacob. And Jesus applies this actually to the incarnation in John chapter 1. He says that... Um, that he kind of uses that as a way to talk about Jesus coming into the flesh as Jacob's ladder. And it's, it's the image that really kept coming back to me for the cross as well in Romans 3. And here's what I mean by that. Um, uh, we're going to look at the two parts of this exchange in just very simple ways. But the image, the idea of the cross, and, um, and I'm just going to talk through just my own experience of this as I reflect on it. One of the things that's so, for me, significant about the cross is trusting that what Jesus said it accomplishes is true while at the same time acknowledging for myself, and it might be clear for you, um, while acknowledging for myself that I don't fully understand how it happened. That's a mystery I've had to learn to live into, that to this day, I'm a pastor's kid, I've been studying, in fact, um, one of the words that's in this text, you know, I think I probably said mom or dad first, there's probably a first word that came out, but you know my literal first recollection of the word, first word I ever said? The first word I can ever remember saying is dikaiosune which is the Greek word for um, God's righteousness, the kaiosune. That's the first word I have conscious memory of. My dad was a scholar, and it's the first word I ever remember actually saying is the kaiosune. My, my dad wanted me wrestling with the righteousness of God from a very early age. So the kaiosune, I remember saying that from very early on, right? So I, I had been in some form or fashion reflecting on the cross since I was a baby, and I, I just have to keep coming back to this reality of, like, I don't understand it. <laughs> I really don't understand what all happened at the cosmic realm that God, to be able to forgive, to be able to defeat evil and enemy, to make God's love fully available to us, had to come in the form of humankind and die on a cross. I don't understand fully why all that had to happen. And I believe clearly that we're supposed to understand the implications of what God did through that. Right? So I can fully trust that it's God's way of kicking open the door between earth and heaven for me to come in. I can fully put my confidence in the fact that somehow or another it accomplishes forgiveness, right? I can fully trust in one form or another that God used the cross to defeat evil, to overcome sin, and to invite me all the way in. I don't understand the full dimension of how or why that happened, but I fully put my trust in the fact that something happened, that on that cross, reality opened up, to put it back in Jacob's ladder. Here, that's, this is why for me it's been helpful to think of this, that on the cross, a door opened up into heaven, and the possibility for an exchange by faith was created on the cross. Okay? And it's the two sides of this exchange that Paul really develops here in Romans 3, and the first side of it is the more familiar. I would say the second side is less familiar, even for most Christians. So the first side, it will sound familiar, but it's still totally worth singing hallelujah about. The first side of the exchange, when Jesus dies on that cross, as Paul's developing here, the first side of that exchange is the ability to be forgiven. Right? So if we're putting a word on it, we'll put a word on each one of them. Forgiveness is the first aspect of the exchange, right? That when Jesus dies on that cross, that something is opened up at the eternal realm and the possibility for forgiveness is opened up to us. 
right now. I want to flip. There's just one other passage I'm going to flip back and forth with on this one because I think in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul also develops the same idea. So, Daniel, if you've got 2 Corinthians 5, 21, if you would bring that up for a moment. I think this develops the same idea. All right, here's how Paul, again, reflecting on the same idea of the exchange, uh, talks about it in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That really gets the exchange on both sides. I'll get to the second one in a minute. Let's just, for, we're first reflecting on this forgiveness piece. And it's important, I, I think this is a helpful way to think about forgiveness. It's not just like God waved a magic wand and said, now you're forgiven. It's, Paul really develops this idea frequently that it's an exchange that allows for the forgiveness. That it's not just this, okay, now the sins are wiped clean. There, there was, Paul uses the word the atonement or redeeming, that God had to make the one who never knew sin, Right? That's an important part of the Christian perspective on salvation, that Jesus Christ in human form never knew sin. He never lusted. He never was angry to a point of sinning. He never lied. He never deceived anybody. He never missed a moment to be responsive to that which God the Father had wanted from him. Right? Jesus knew no sin, but on the cross, this exchange happens. Right? So by faith, every sin I've committed and this is where the sobering part of Christianity comes from, right? Just reflecting on the fact that all my little sins get exchanged and all my big sins get exchanged. That all my one-time sins get exchanged and that all my habitual sins get exchanged. That the sins I'm aware of get exchanged and the sins I'm not aware of get exchanged, right? So, so, so the cross opens up this possibility for all the sin that's on me to move by faith from me onto him. All right? And that's... Paul repeatedly comes back to that when talking about the nature of the cross, that the full weight of all of our sin is transferred from us onto him on that cross. That God had to do that. That Jesus had to die on the cross to create the ability, to create this mystic, supernatural ability for sin to be transferred from us onto Jesus. And that's meant to be good news. That's meant to be a hallelujah. That's meant to be a source of confidence and conviction for the person who has by faith received the gift of Jesus Christ. So that, you know, this is, this is a good memory verse, Psalm 103.12. You've probably heard this one before, but this is one just worth committing to memory, Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So far has he removed our sins from us that we are meant to be aware of our sin. There's no, there's no, minimizing sin in the Bible. Uh, We're to be aware of the seriousness of our sin. There's no dismissing that in the Bible. And yet to realize that the cross opened up this capacity for a transfer, for an exchange, that the first half of this, that our sin by faith, and that's the key word in this. You see it in both. um, Go back to Romans 3, if you will, Daniel. and uh, Faith is in there twice, verse 22 and 25. He says, it's given to us through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's how he says it in verse 22. In verse 25, he says that the shedding of his blood is to be received by faith. Right? And just to hammer home, what Paul is continually wanting us to see is that the debt of sin is not something we can work off. Right? It's not to receive his blood by being a good person. Right? It's not to receive his blood by proving that we had been worthy of it all along. It is a simple one-way kind of a thing. It says it's simply a gift. It's to be received by faith. That this forgiveness that is available to us for our sins is to be received by faith. So that's the first half of the exchange. That's the first half when we are reflecting on the nature of the cross. We don't want to get more cute than we should, but this is the first element that 
that there's this transfer that happens by faith, that there's this exchange that happens where our sin is put onto Jesus on that cross. You, you tracking with me? All right. Now, I want to come back to Romans 3 and kind of crisscrossing out with that 2 Corinthians passage. The other part of it that I don't think is always as understood, but I would really contend that I don't think you need to define this word in the fullest sense to be a Christian or anything, but I think to really live in the full weight of the cross, this word, this term even, in verse 24, um, becomes really significant. This is the other side of the exchange. Um, In 24, what Paul calls it is that we are justified freely by his grace that we're justified freely by his grace. This is the other side of it, and it's why I like the language of exchange, because the sin part gets to half of it. That's kind of the idea of our sin moving on to Jesus on the cross. That's what faith allows us to access, is this one-way direction of our sin being put onto him, and that's hugely important. But it's never talked about in just a one-way direction when it talks about the faith. Um, there's something that the cross does that not only does our sin go unto him, which is true, but something comes from him onto us. And that represents something different than the sin from us that goes onto him. The term justification, let me, let, me, um, let me define this word justification. If you look this up and just try to get some English definitions for um, justification, um, it Here's some of the words. They're all synonymous, but I'll say it a couple of different ways. To justify is to help something become. It's interesting, right? To justify is to help make something. To justify is, here's the one that's maybe the least used English word, but this is the one I'm actually going to focus on. To justify is to render something. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was studying that word and just reflecting on the word justify, the word render jumped out to me. It's a word, I, I don't think many of us use that in everyday kind of language. But you know what it immediately jumped out, and I, I've been reflecting on this all week. Um, believe it or not, I don't really have a super artsy side, but during my college and just out of college years, I was in graphic design pretty intensely. And so I wasn't good at it, which is why I'm not doing it anymore. It's arguable whether pastoring was the right thing to do or not, but I definitely wasn't good at graphic design. So um, but I was, I was around graphic design when, like, technology was changing very quickly. So I remember, like, when people didn't have email addresses. I can't believe I'm old enough to say that. I remember when people didn't use the Internet. Um, so I was, that's kind of when I was in the, in the graphic design and tech field. But the other thing that was brand new when I was in it, I worked for a firm that was a very kind of cutting edge technologically when I was in my late college and just out of college years. Uh, uh, one of the technologies that was brand new then was 3D technology, where you know, now, you know, most high school students can create 3D kinds of objects and stuff like that. But back then, this was a very unique uh, technology. And so uh, I remember kind of the terrain changing so much in art where you could take a 2D sketch, right? So 2D means you're just looking at it on paper, right? You could take a 2D sketch of something which is real but lacks dimension, right? And then you could, um, with these sophisticated 3D programs, you could redesign whatever the sketch was in 2D and you could create a template that was going to turn into a 3D object, and so, oh, thank you, Pam. You're like feeling me on 3D. 3, I appreciate that. That's not an easy thing to amen to, but I'm, I appreciate that. So it was very technical. It took actually a long time. You would build out kind of this, you know, it, it almost looked like a skeleton of what the other object was. There's all these kind of things to do. But when you were finally done assembling it as a 3D object, you would hit render. That was the button. It would say render, which render meant that this new design you were coming up with, it was going to use all of its computer power and turn it into a 3D object. Right? And when we were first starting doing this, it took like usually a whole day 
to render. So once you were ready to render, so you had kind of this blueprint that you could see, but you couldn't quite imagine. Then you hit render, and then you would actually watch. You know, it would slowly filling in the color, slowly filling in the details, slowly turning this very basic sketch into this 3D design, right? And you'd have to go home, come back the next day, more more of it would be done. It would take a day, two days. And then at some point, you would see this kind of fully animated, fully three-dimensional, fully beautiful expression of what had been just a 2D object before. All right, so that, that was what rendering was. That's what that word means to me when I think of render. I go back to my college years when I would, we would turn something from 2D into 3D. Now, Paul says it's just as important to understand this exchange process. He says it here and in 2 Corinthians 5 when you go back there, that not only does our sin go on to Jesus, but something from Jesus comes onto us. Um, something, something begins to happen where we're being remade, where we're being rendered into something. And I, I, I just got the chills of it because I was like, even if myself, I don't reflect on this often enough. Uh, here, here's a way to get to the importance of seeing both sides. One, one theologian said it like this. He said that, um, that if you only understand forgiveness, he said it like this. He said, forgiveness gets to kind of the negative aspect of where we are, by my meaning that, that we're sinful, that we've fallen short of the glory of God, that we need a way out. So it gets to the important, but only the negative. It's, he's, uh, the, the, this theologian I read said it like this. It said, it's kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Right? Uh, it's saying, you're a sinner, and you've been released. You are now free. You don't have to worry anymore about paying the price for your sins. Right. So it's important, but it kind of speaks to the negative aspect. Right. Where there's a deficit that had to be addressed, and we've been freed from it. So, but if you don't get to justification, you never get to the positive part, right? Because the cross doesn't just say you can go. The cross also says you can come. That, that you've not just been released from God's you know, punishment, but that you've been invited fully into all that God is. And I want to go back to this rendering idea because it really, it really kind of stoked something in me. Again, that, that this exchange that our sins has put on him. But here's, here's the trippy thing to me when I really reflect on this, that the very nature of who Jesus Christ is, who he was in person, that he didn't just take our, his sin on us, but the very nature of who Jesus was by faith is available to be taken on to us. Right? So let me just make it personal for a minute that when I, by faith, connected that historical moment in human history where Jesus Christ died on a cross, my sins, if I accept this free gift, my sins are put onto him. They become part of those nails, part of those whips, part of that blood. Right? My sins are put on him. But the very essence of who Jesus is, the very DNA of what makes Jesus who he was, by faith can be put onto me. It becomes part of who I am in a way that wasn't possible without the cross. Right now, we're all made in the image of God. We all reflect God's glory, whether we ever acknowledge God or not. But what the cross did is open up the free gift of justification, this ability to be rendered into something different. So here's, where, here's if you can take something as mysterious and amazing as that, make it practical, I'll do my best. But here, here's where I see that being practical, where I was really spending a lot of time in my own personal reflections on this. I, I started realizing, for one, here's why the life of Jesus becomes really important, right? When we're studying, it's not that that's more important than the rest of scriptures, but the, the accounts of Jesus become really important because it shows us what the DNA is that by faith is now inside of us. All right? And so it pushes us a little bit further, I think, than we typically go. Um, for a lot of Christians, they see the cross as how you get forgiven from sin, and then from there you're just supposed to be a really good person who tries to do what Jesus did. Or you should work really hard to be obedient and do what Jesus did. All right? And I don't want to discount, obviously, obedience is important. Jesus says, if you obey me, you'd love me. But I don't think it, get, it goes far enough to 
receive the gift that comes from the cross. When we watch Jesus do what he does, it's not just meant to be a model for us to emulate. It's not meant to show behavior just that we should do. It's actually a glimpse into what now lives inside of us through his DNA. Right? So when we think of like something from the, the, the garden where, where Jesus is in agony, he's suffering, he's struggling, there's a cup that has come that he does not want. Right? I mean, that's something every human being will be able to relate to at multiple points throughout their life, right? where circumstances of life break in such a way where there's pain, where there's struggle, where there's hardship, where there's difficulty. Right? Now, you can do the kind of more superficial, not important, but you can do the superficial pass of that and say, Jesus faced suffering, and he dealt with it, and he was honest about it, but he persevered, and we too should persevere through it. That kind of gets, but that, that doesn't get full enough. If, if we're really looking at it through the lens of the cross, what we can see is the very DNA that enabled Jesus to experience that suffering, to authentically live within that suffering, to find the God-given strength to not only persevere, but to shine even in it, to have his character deepened through it. That actual DNA is in us through the cross that that's the other half of the exchange. It's not just our sin who went on to him, but that ability to persevere through suffering by the strength of God. That is now in us. That capability is in us. It's not just something we should do. It's something we could do. If that makes sense, it's a, it, it, it takes it a little bit further, saying, yeah, yeah, of course we should, but it's something we can do now that's given to us as a gift by faith. That's part of what being justified freely means, that we're being rendered into something. Right, so I kept coming back to this image and remember the 2D sketch and a 3D image. And it's like that some of what sin does is it holds us back from being our full selves. It, it holds us back from being all that God intended for us to be. And so there's the negative part. We want to put that sin on to Jesus by faith. But there's still the reality of we've been held back by this sin. What do we do? Well, that's the gift that comes back. We're, we're justified. We're being made into something. We're being created into something based on the DNA of Jesus that's in us. Right? When we watch Jesus go for periods of time and enter into the presence of God in this meaningful and intimate way where he hears the voice of Abba Father affirming him and guiding him and directing him. You know, we can walk away from that and say, we should do those same kind of things, and we should. We should have those times of prayer. We should seek God's presence, and we should. But I don't think that goes as far as we need to go. The cross says we're justified. We're being rendered. We don't just put our sin on him. He comes on to us. The very same thing that allowed him, that enabled him to be attuned to the presence of God, to be so responsive to the words of God, that by faith is put on us through the cross. It's, it's a DNA thing that there's this justification that is put on us. There's the, right, there's the righteousness of God. That's how Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5. It's not just that our sin went on him, but that his righteousness comes on us. And there's a lot to that, but a huge part is just it's the nature of who Jesus was. It becomes on us and becomes available for us to access. And so that's the image. That's the image I would just love to have us sit with on this first week. It's the image I would love to use for us as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, this simple and yet multi-layered reality of an exchange that happens. That when Jesus died on that cross, when God did what God had to do to defeat evil, to defeat death, to forgive sin, to forever leave the door open to God's presence, when God opened that door, 
Jacob's ladder, so to speak, when there's this kind of supernatural opening by faith for us to accept, those are the two things that are happening on the cross. You know, we can choose to step into it, not choose it, step into it, but that's how Paul describes the two things happening, that the first part of the exchange is that our sin leaves us and goes on to him. He said a lot of different ways in Scripture, but that basic idea, we, we, there's forgiveness happening because our sin is put onto him, but then his nature is being put onto us, being mapped onto us. But isn't that crazy that that very... The nature of Jesus Christ is mapped onto you by faith. Uh, none of us are living as fully into that as we can or should. That goes without saying. That goes back into the forgiveness side, right? Like, Lord, forgive me that I've not yet fully lived into those. But it doesn't change the fact his DNA is mapped onto you through what happened on the cross. It, it goes in both ways on the exchange. And I just, I just keep coming back to the beauty of how simple faith is talked about in Romans chapter 3, that it's not something you earn, it's not something you achieve, it's not something you prove, it's not something you work for. It is simply a gift you freely receive. It's a gift you freely receive, period, the end. No asterisks, no additional thing. It's a free gift that we receive. And that just feels, it feels like good news. It feels um, empowering. It feels... um, strengthening. It's something that we're coming, we, we're to come back to time and time and to remember and to live in power from. And so as we prepare today to receive of the gift of communion, which is to remind us, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do it regularly in remembrance of me. We, we, this is two ways to prepare our hearts for the receiving of this gift. The participation in this gift is to remember it's a forgiveness That when we come, it's not the cup itself, it's not the bread itself, but when we go, we come in contact with the sacramental reality that Jesus Christ died for us so that we can have the confidence that as far as the east is from the west, so far has our sins been forgiven. It is a declaration that I am forgiven. It's not a minimization of sin. In fact, if anything, it helps us to see how serious sin is and how we want to be delivered from that. But it it is meant to be something, we step into that space with absolute confidence. Because that's what the cross did. It was not about anything we did. It wasn't about our level of confidence. It wasn't about our level of goodness. It's about what Jesus did. It's about how God accomplished that, that there's forgiveness on one side. But it's also an acknowledgement. It's a claiming of the fact that the DNA of Jesus has mapped onto you and mapped onto me. It's not just the negative that we've been freed, but it's the positive that says, now come in. Live fully as one who is a child of God, live fully as one who's got the DNA of Jesus Christ inside of them and that it's the Spirit's desire to help us live fully into that. So I think some of us just need to, we need to, we need to be reflecting on that when we, come to the, when, when we come to the Lord's Supper today, right? Saying like, wow, not only are my sins being put on him, but his righteousness, his personality, his DNA, his very being is being put onto me. And that, that, that lifts your head up, put your shoulders back when you walk out of a place like this, right? Saying the spirit of God, it's alive inside of me, right? Like the DNA of Jesus Christ, all the things he did, I'm capable of doing because he's in me now. And it's a, it's a, it's a receiving of that promise. So um, let me lead us in a moment of kind of reflective prayer. And then when you're ready, we've got a station on each side. There'll be folks there who will be distributing the gifts. There'll be elders back here praying. I would encourage you to take advantage of that time as well. And I'm just going to kind of pray together with us, just get our hearts ready. And then um, we'll just move into this gift of communion time after that. Well, dear God, as we join with just literally millions of saints around the globe who are in this season of Lent alongside of us who are coming back to the story of God, the story of Jesus Christ, 
reflecting on the meaning of the cross, reflecting on the significance of sin, reflecting on the magnitude of grace. We join that in a very collective way. We join that in a very individual way in this moment. I pray that in ways that just drive it home in explicit ways for each woman and man in this place, that you will just remind us of these words of the Apostle Paul, that this gift of faith that is found on the cross gives us the ability to both place onto you everything that's sinful and to receive from you everything that's righteous. And so we take a moment to reflect on the significance of that gift. Boy, I can think of just today how many ways I have fallen short of your glory, how many ways I have acted outside of how you've designed me to live. To think of thousands and thousands of days worth of sins, thousands and thousands of decisions that I made that were in violation of you, some that I was less conscious of, some where I just spit in your face by doing them. It is beyond comprehension that I can come in such a sinful place and know that because of what you did on that cross, I can with confidence nail those sins to the cross alongside with you. I am sorry that there's so many that had to be nailed onto you. I truly am. I confess them. But we do not miss the largeness of your gift in the middle of that. That before I even had the consciousness to say I know I'm a sinner who needs forgiveness, you had already accomplished what needed to be done. That all we have to do is by faith nail those things to the cross with you. And we can walk as free people. You declared that we are free. You call us to live as free. And then to just imagine that the very essence of who you are is mapped onto me through that cross, is mapped onto us. The capacity to love, the capacity to care, the capacity to sacrifice, the capacity to show depth of compassion. It's just inside of us now because you're inside of us now. We come and we claim that gift too, not because we earned it. Boy, we know we didn't, but because you've declared this is what was accomplished on that cross. So may your spirit move in this place. May it assure us of the confidence we can have to be forgiven of sin. May it assure us of the confidence of the one who now lives inside of us, of the very spiritual DNA, the very spiritual blood that runs through alongside of our blood. May the tactile elements of eating this bread dipped in the juice that represents your blood remind us of what you have done. May we remember as you've commanded us to. May the tactile action of receiving it from another member of this body remind us that we are your people, your body together, receiving this gift of faith, receiving this gift of redemption, receiving this gift of justification together as a community. So move in this place, God. Fill us with a sense of hope and confidence because of what you've done and who you are. Amen.